A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, friends. Have you noticed that no matter how much yoga we do, we may still struggle in our intimate relationships. My husband and I have a great relationship, but we are not relationship coaches. And we know that yoga can and does help, but at a certain point, you need more relational support from a relationship specialist. If you're going through some kind of challenge right now in your relationships, my friend Jason Gaddis at the Relationship School can help. Jason's team will pair you up with a skilled relationship coach And within 48 hours, you'll be getting private one-on-one support on whatever you're going through relationally. And right now, for my listeners only, Jason is offering half off one month of relationship coaching. Head over to relationshipschool.com slash Laura to get the deal and watch your relationships improve. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Oh, I have to tell you, I, I have like a physical therapy colleague crush on today's guest and I, and I just interviewed him for the first time. Jay DeCherry, he is a physical therapist. He is a certified sports clinical specialist. He is an author of two books. He is a engineer of a really cool um, patent MOBO board, it's called. It's just, it's kind of crazy how talented he is. And he is also incredibly humble. I loved talking to him. He not only speaks my language, but he really breaks down the importance of biomechanics and running, the importance of the foot, the importance of the big toe, and gives you some real practical ways to help your movement, whether you're doing it for five minutes or you're running for five hours. Even if you're not a runner, we talk about so much more, and he is just absolutely delightful. He has been an active researcher with publications of over 35 professional journal articles There's so much more to say about him, but just listen up and enjoy my conversation with Jay. Welcome, Jay. So happy to have another physical therapist, movement lover, guru that you are on today. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Love uh, chatting about bodies and how to make them work better. (laughs) I know. I love it. And let me just mention, in addition to being a physical therapist, you are an educator, you are an author. You are an inventor. Um, I mean, you have a lot of things going on. So I really would love to 
start off and learn about how you got into this line of work. Yeah, um, everything I've done has been uh, born out of frustrations with things that don't work, right? Um, I ended up not working um, <laughs> when I was <laughs> a long time ago in high school. I was a swimmer and, you know, as a swimmer, you spend lots of time training and um, lots and lots. It was in the water for 20 to 25 hours a week from the age of seven on. Hmm. And um, you become this tremendously dangerously strong engine and you are horrendously weak in terms of um, ability to stabilize against like, you know, ground, ground sports. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, I was sort of forced to run in high school. Uh, I didn't want to at all, but I was forced cause I was fit. Right. And, um, uh, I, I showed up, I was quite, you know, decently fast, but, uh, I kept getting hurt and, um, I didn't, I didn't like the fact that, you know, it's, you know, 15, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old and kept getting these overuse injuries and training 25 hours a week. And all the physicians you'd see would be like, oh, well, running's bad for you. You shouldn't do this. And I just didn't like that answer. So, um, yeah, tried to, uh, Long story short, did a bunch of weird stuff right about, but became a, a PT and then um, got it, uh, ended up working for an outpatient sport and, sport and spine clinic and found out that a bunch of stuff we learned in school didn't work. Um, and uh, so went back to the drawing board, um, ended up running a biomechanics lab at uh, University of Virginia for uh, over 10 years. And that's when it was really cool. A lot of things sort of come up to the surface when you actually get to yeah, you know, I, I always tell people my career has been kind of like cheating. If you had like lab data on every patient you see, plus your, you know, evaluation, it's like stuff's really easy to find out. Um, so, um, yeah, I think a lot of what I've what I've learned over the years is trying to give that back, right? So, uh, I was raised in a, you know, in a, a family which said you're never good enough, you can always do better. So, <laughs> trying trying to do better and trying to uh, spread good word around our community. So, yeah, yeah, chasing that proverbial. <laughs> Yes, you did a great job, Jay. No, that's wonderful because I think it, I think what we we get we know anytime you're doing this kind of service work um, that we love so much is that we get so much so much more in return when you're helping somebody. Totally, yeah. I would love to go back because this just like uh, kind of the minute you started talking about swimming and how you weren't prepared for running, and I feel like there's a thread line here because. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, uh, going back to like swimming versus running, going into PT school, realizing actually what we learned in PT school doesn't always apply, and then going into biomechanics, would you say that the thread line here is that people don't people don't pay enough attention to the proximal postural muscles and their need to stabilize to function well in any kind of big movement pattern, whether it's in the water? Because I've I've worked with a lot of swimmers who have their big Big muscles are working well and their proximal muscles aren't. But would yeah. you say there's a little bit of a thread line there? 100%. I mean, yeah, it's like there's there's certain foundational skills that would need to happen, right? And like this should start – I mean, we can get a big soapbox, Laura, if you want. But oh, like, you'd, I, I'm right there with you. Why aren't we teaching this to kids, right? Yeah, this should once, start – Once you eat. get off the ground and you're not crawling anymore, I think right. it's a downhill slope. Totally. And Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. This, this should, you know, PE shouldn't be dodgeball, right? PE should be fun ways that are age-appropriate spectrum, right, to really build lifelong skill. Not just everybody talks about strength. Yes, strength's important, but, like, to build skills. And and we've lost sight of that as an entire culture. And that's what's – so you said common thread. That common thread is unfortunately going to start brewing really early, right? It's never getting fixed until people have ouches, right? And so it's funny to me. It's like – you know, the reality is people won't take effort to improve their bodies unless they're hurt. Right. And then you get yes. the other side, which is like, oh, I'm doing fine. I'm kind of getting along what I'm doing. I'm like, yeah, you are. But you could probably be doing a whole heck of a lot better if you take, you know, 20 steps back and reinvent the wheel. And 
everybody wants the one exercise to do to fix it. You know, it's there that doesn't exist, right? That's why that's why people train for years to get good at things, not just one day. So it's a yeah, it's yeah, it's it's an interesting time. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you have done the similar thing that I did. Is that you saw that um, working in a clinic, and again, this is not to diss the clinic work or anything like that, but. Um, it is like when your intention is to help people, and a huge part of physical therapy, I believe, is education, we are reduced to um, kind of just rote exercises that we have to give for the sake of time, for the sake of insurance, and it is um, such a disservice that we're not given this like kind of blank slate, like what do you see, How would, and, and knowing, yes, like you said, it's not a quick fix. But then we would be conditioning the people to realize it's not a quick fix versus getting into this mentality of something's wrong, you go fix it, you write a prescription, and you get four to six things, and if that doesn't work, take a pill. And it's like, we have just got to flip this whole, uh, you know, we don't have to, I, I know you believe the same thing I do, but it's, it is, to everybody listening, it's so important to realize this is this is a lifelong pursuit to, to move better. You're, you're never going to get it. And um, so let's just start with the basics. Like you you got into running, you wrote a whole book about running rewired. This obviously came from your gait analysis. What do you, why, for people that are listening, gait is, a, is how you move, how you walk on two feet, bipedal. Uh, what are the common, I guess, gait patterns that are not helping people optimize their movement, not just in walking, but you know, translating into other movement patterns. What do you, what do you typically see or what have you seen? Yeah. Let me just say this too. It's like, you know, it's funny to me, like everything is, we, we, the whole sport of running and almost everything we do, right. is a very quantitative based culture, right? How much do you run? How fast, you know, what was your time? It's all people ask about whether it's running or cycling or rowing or swimming, whatever. Right. And so what we've lost sense of is the quality, right? So the question you're asking is like, what type of quality things have risen to the surface? I think there's two, I mean, there's a bunch of them, right? We talk, but I think if we highlight two today, which are really, really important, um, is our two, one is postural control. And the second is rotational control. And and so let's, let's hate funny is it's really important. Um, and, and I know there's a bunch of people who say, oh, it's not one good posture for everybody. And yeah, I know that. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you have to run with upright military position. That's not what we're saying at all. Um, the reality is, you know, when you run, you you actually do move, right? You have to counter rotate your upper body and your lower body. And you've got some motion, you know, front to back of your pelvis and side to side and rotation, right? And running's dynamic. It's not just swinging your legs. There's other things that happen. And so you know, a lot of times what we lose sight of is the fact that runners fatigue, right? You don't look the same at, at 1K as you do at 5K and, and 50K, right? So, um, you know, I just tell people, look, we're going to work backwards. If you come to me and you tell me that you're going to do a marathon, I need to make sure you have the postural control to run 26.2 miles, not a 5K, right? And so this, your mind is blown. Why are you doing this extra work? I'm like, look, this isn't extra work. This is integral work. It's complementary, which this isn't cross training, right? I'm trying to give, give you things that might prepare you for your goal. You said your goal is to run a marathon. I'm just an enabler to help you hit that. That's all. That's my, my smiling place at the table, right? So I want to make sure that we really train the awareness of where your upper body, where your torso is over your pelvis, right? And it's supposed to move. There's not one posture. But for you, if I can teach you how to feel your alignment and shut my mouth, you'll learn, right? And if you learn, that's when things translate over. I know there's 5,000 core exercises you can find online. I'm not looking to give you an exercise. I'm looking to teach you a strategy, right? And so that's, that's one that's really, really, really important. And, and to be blunt, Laura, it's not very well um, 
understood the research either, right? So um, it, it, a lot of these things are. I mean, I love research, but there's. I mean, we're we are not in. You know, research is subjective. First of totally. all, research is usually catching up with what we know far right. far before that. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I tell people all the time, research guides your thought process. It doesn't tell you how to treat your patients. Those yeah. are, <laughs> yeah. Um, but so I, I, you know, it's it's funny. I, I was asked to do a conference presentation years ago. I, I um, co uh, co-founded a conference at EVA called the Running Medicine Conference. It's like eighteenth or nineteenth year this year, anyway, um, on influence of upper body mechanics and running. And there's really not that much out there, right? And so I said, okay, look, I'm gonna do my own little pilot study. And so I basically had a bunch of runners come in. I said, just run, right? Now I want you to run with kind of a slump position and then an arch back position for a little while, right? And and just by doing that, like no exercise, no nothing, right? Just by doing that, we found that we can make running harder, okay, from a fitness <laughs> standpoint, or you could make more running more stressful. You could overload your body parts more just by cheating your running position. And people are like, oh, well, you artificially created that. And I was like, nope, those are the exact patterns we see every day. Just go look outside, you know, and you'll see people running like this all the time. So a lot of it's the skill, right? Um, so I think that's one huge piece is pay attention to your running posture, find some awareness in, in that. And, and that's so, so critical. Right. So can you uh, just pause there? So when yeah. people are listening and they're like, well, besides going to somebody, like what should I be aware of? Like, is there an intrinsic or extrinsic cue that you ask people, say they're just running pretty much on a, a level surface, no major hills at this point. What What are the things to think about? Yeah, um, I can make this really simple. Um, so if those of you who <clears throat> listen to this and you have and you can, um, stand up, okay? <laughs> and um, what I want you to do for me, to do a little awareness exercise. So I want you to do, I want you to put your right hand on your belly button. I want you to put your left hand on your chest, on your sternum, okay, in front of you. And a lot of times people talk about posture. They try and tuck the pelvis or tuck the tailbone. That's not what we're doing. In fact, please don't do that because if you tuck the tailbone, what you're doing is you're actually using your hip extension range and you can't stride out behind you. So good luck running, right? So don't change from the bottom. We're going to think about the top, right? So what I want you to do with your right hand, your belly button and your left hand, your chest, and just relax, just wiggle yourself for a second so you can relax and just feel where you are on your feet. Some of you out there right now will be in a pretty good position and you can feel this. This isn't something I have to look at or measure. I'm, if you're in front of me, I do this the same way, right? If you feel like your weight's evenly split between the heels and the balls of your feet, you're right now in your sort of neutral alignment, okay? The reality is most of you listening right now are gonna feel very heel heavy, right? You're gonna feel a lot of weight on your heels. And the reason why is because we tend to stand with our pelvis kind of in that anteriorly tilted position or kind of forward rotated position and an increased arch on our low back. And that's what your body thinks is normal. So when you walk and yes, run, right? All you're doing is throwing volume at the same postural problem you've got to begin with. You can't feel where you are in space. So that's some people like the backseaters, what I call those, right? <clears throat> and then the other aspect is sometimes people just tend to kind of slump forward and they, they kind of roll their shoulders forward, they roll their neck forward because we spend all of our time texting and at desks all day long, right? And so again, that position becomes one we adopt when we run because it's familiar, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to play with this little thing. We're going to keep our right hand, our pelvis nice and stable, that left hand, your chest. I want you to lean back. So even if you're not somebody who feels heel heavy, I want you to lean back with me so you do feel this. And you're going to lean backwards just enough to the point you feel weight in your heels. And then we're going to take our left hand, our chest, and we're going to drop those forward in space until you feel weight evenly split between your heels and your ball of your foot. And you, that should feel evenly balanced. 
And then let's go too far now. So drop your chest down even a little bit more. You feel that weight really go on your toes. And you may even feel your toes go dig to the ground. Back that off and go back to that neutral position. Now what I want you to do, I want you to take your pinkies and I want you to put your pinky on the front of your pelvis, a spot called your anterior superior iliac spine. You don't have to remember that. Just think the bump in the front of your pelvis, okay? And now I want you to take your thumb, right? So pinkies on the front of the pelvis. Your thumb goes on any rib. Just reach up to any rib you can find. And just kind of clamp down on it. And imagine your hand is now a vice, right? It's a rigid object. And what I want you to do for me is keeping your torso, as use it as a cue, right? To keep your torso stacked over your hips. Go walk around, walk to your kitchen, walk to your backyard. I don't care, walk somewhere, right? And just feel that awareness of your torso moving forward with your pelvis at the same time, right? And not what do a lot of people do is the second the heel comes down, right? The heel strikes the ground and they let the pelvis kind of break position, right? It rotates forward, the back arches and they shift. And so all the sloppy control, just think about that alignment and do this a bunch of times throughout the day, right? It can begin taking a break at lunch, can be walking, get your kids, whatever it is, but just do this often. And you're just building the habit of upper body stacked in the lower body. That's all right. And so if you can learn that it is huge. And like, huge. you can do this when you run, if you want to, but just, and if you want to stop during your run, your heart's not going to drop that much walk for 10 seconds. Right. And just put this awareness in your pattern. It's super, super helpful. I love that. That's exactly, you're speaking my language because I talk so much about the thoracopelvic cylinder. In a lot of ways, what our limbs are doing is is way less important. It's because, especially like on the mat, um, if you're not controlling the center, it doesn't really matter <laughs> because, right. because then it shows up in all the other ways. And um, but yeah, you're totally speaking my language. And it's funny because we in lit, we talk about the diamond where we put the heel of the hand on the ASAS's the um, pinky kind of down toward the pubic bone, thumb up toward above the navel. So it's like a diamond and just cinching that together to control it. Because yeah. it's that connection, the rib, those front ribs that are, I also call them the curtains because the, they don't attach to the sternum. They really get, um, you know, free range and they can, they'll just move and they move in a result of the pelvis. And like you said, if you can control from the top down, it's, it's just another way of, um, it's kind of like a side door again, and the brain pays more attention to it because it's not such a, it's a, it's a refreshing new way of, of feeling it and looking at it versus just like you said, overly tucking the pelvis, thinking that you're trying to get into neutral. Totally. Great advice. Okay. You said there was a second thing besides that. Yeah. So, you know, this is interesting, right? So running is moving forward, right? And so over the past few years, we've heard lots of people say, oh, well, let's talk about strengthening the hip abductors and the frontal plane muscles. And yeah, great. Okay, let's do that. But you know what's more important than strengthening the frontal plane is the transverse plane, the rotational plane. And let me just give you an example of, of again, when you run, you have to counter-rotate your shoulders on your pelvis through your spine. You have to counter-rotate your pelvis on your thigh. You have to counter-rotate your shin on top of your foot. And you have a ton of rotation that occurs within your foot, which is we call pronation supination. Don't let those words scare you. It's just basically rotation of your rear foot and your forefoot. And so that's what I spend the vast majority of the time, right? We talk about, you know, how do you really fix things with runners? It's not this frontal plane stuff. Like I know a lot of you out there have seen a picture of yourself coming across the finish line. You're, if you're a clinician, your patients bring it in and they show you that, you know, their knee diving in right to the inside that we call dynamic valgus. What you see visually, okay, with your eyes from a front picture is a frontal plane problem. I get that. You see the knee crashing inside. 
but the hip is not coming across the body. We call this adduction. Your hip isn't adducting 25 degrees, right? We've done research on this and looked at people who do have dynamic valgus running and don't, right? And the frontal plane values are within like one to two degrees. What we see huge increases though is hip rotation, okay? And then lower limb rotation, right? So I spent a lot of my time trying to teach people how to think about, you know, your foot type to the ground, that ground reaction force, the line of stress goes up from the foot up the entire kinematic chain. So we have to assess everything up the kinematic chain. How can you steer and stabilize your rear foot on your forefoot? How do you stabilize your shin over your ankle? How do you stabilize? These are all rotational ideas, right? How do you stabilize rotation of your pelvis on your femur? How do you stabilize your torso on your, on your pelvis? And then more importantly, how do you get that all to work together? Yeah. Right? Because you're not a body part, you're a person, right? And so that's what I think. It, it, it's funny, right? It, we're... We're on the older side. We've seen trends comes and go, right? And so it's funny. People do this and do that. It's like we're missing the problem, right? The problem is think about we have to focus on. It's not the quick fixes. It's you've got to deal with rotational stresses. Let's prepare the body for that. And that gets excuse me, overlooked so often. So just if you were to, I know this, that's a, the, like you said, there's so many components there. But if you were to... Um, kind of summarize it to somebody listening, would you say something like it's basically having an element of, I don't want to say deceleration, but control of, because when when he's, when you're, for anybody listening, when he's talking about this rotation, there's an allowance that you want to have, but you don't want too much, right? You don't want it out of control. It's to allow the natural gait pattern, but would you say there's got to be kind of this, like I talk about this kind of energetic hug in and then everything can move well around that. But if the, that center like lift uh, of the kind of pelvic contents up in this sense of like going against gravitational forces, if you don't have that, then you just become spaghetti-like. Uh, what are some of the cues that you give people to have in mind as they're moving slowly and then picking up the pace. It's actually easier in some ways as you're picking up the pace because you have some natural kind of coil going on, but you still have to contain it. Yeah, um, let's even back up one step here. So I will, I will definitely get the cues because those are really helpful, but um, let's do something because I think everybody in your audience has done a bridge before, right? So let's- Oh even yeah, we do them all the time. Right. <laughs> Every single so, class, yeah. Yep. Let's even make this simpler, right? So a bridge, you're basically lying down your back, right? You're taking your hip from a flex position to more of a neutral position, right? And the goal is you don't cheat your back. You're supposed to move your hip, right? So everybody's done that before and you're moving your hip from flexion to neutral. Great. So then you've probably done a single leg bridge at some point in time, right? Where basically we're now asking you to move your hip from flexion to extension, but we're also, because it's single limb, right? Your leg is slightly to the side of midline. And so now you have a little bit of rotational control. What most people wind up doing, right? We say bridge up, they wind up um, with people who don't have proper hip strength, right? Their pelvis, when they go up into that bridge position, the high position, right? Their pelvis tends to twist and rotate downward, right? And so that motion isn't bad. I want you to be able to twist, right? To exponentially rotate, but I need you to control that, right? So one of the tests I have people do all the time is when I actually assess a single leg bridge, right? And so I'll say, go into a single leg bridge for me. And I want to see them maintain level, but I'll say, let your pelvis go into external rotation, right? Let your, the opposite side of your pelvis rotate down. And then now without changing the height of your pelvis, right? Without bridging up higher from your hip, I now want you to actually actively internally rotate your hip, right? So I'm taking them through that range of active control of internal and external rotation. Why? Well, because when you run, you have to be able to what? Actively control that motion. And so one of the problems I see is, when you talk about cues and I love cues, but we give people cues when they don't know how to move, right? So 
the simplest way I can explain this, because this is just an easy one to visualize. If you have really poor um, control of your hip extension, right? Because um, running is swinging your leg in front of you and then back behind you. The reality is most people don't have good control of their hip when it goes behind midline. And what happens is instead of extending their hip, they want to extend their low back, right? And then some coach with well-meaning is going to tell you to open up your stride, right? And open up your stride means let your leg swing longer. And that, that's not a bad cue, okay, the right times, but you heard open up your stride and what you, all your brain knows how to do is to cheat your back position to open up that stride, right? And that's not the goal. So I really dig on on the on cues, yes, but I want to make sure people know how to move first. Um, and so I spend time, you know, on these kind of fundamentals, right? Teaching you how to, again, get active rotation control on your hip, how to get counter rotation upper body, lower body, how to steer your rear foot and your forefoot, how to drive down through your, your big toe, your first way, right? So you can create that foundation like, we, we have to spend time doing these and they don't, you know, these are not things you have to work on for every day for an hour, right? They're things that take, you know, a few minutes. Like, you know, I tell people all the time, if you're doing this more than like 10 minutes a day, three days a week, like we need to have a talk, right? This is real simple stuff. And if you're still doing this in a month, we have a bigger problem, right? Like it's almost like you're prepping the neuromuscular connections in that totally. 10 minutes. It's not like you're just, yeah. Totally. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're talking about building blocks, right? We start somewhere and then, and then again, eventually we'll integrate these skills into bigger type things. Right. And then, so when you hear that cue, right, when I say drive your elbows back behind your hips, right, which is basically preventing you from slumping your shoulders forward. Right. And then having more cross body rotation. Okay. That, you know, now, Oh, the difference between my shoulder blade position and my spine position, those are two very different segments of your body we're talking about. Right. And driving your elbows back actually helps you work on your propulsion mechanics, right? And gives you actually better spring um, as you talk about coil, right? Running is all about elasticity. So we can improve these things, right? So I think that one of the biggest things is, you know, I tell people all the time, when you're running, do me a favor, stop every half mile, quarter mile, whatever you need to. And just again, stand on one leg and go, wait a second, am I on my heels? Am I on my midfoot or on my toes, right? And just recenter yourself, keep on going, right? Jump back into your workout and do that as often as you need to until better position feels like home. Right. Um, that's one great thing. And then the elbows behind hips cue is again another really simple one, right? Um, another use all the time is pretend your kneecaps are flashlights, right? So you have a yellow flashlight in your left kneecap and a um and a blue flashlight on your right, right? And don't cross your beams and make green, right? For those of you who have like wobbly messed up, right? Because we want to focus on a twist and a lot of people say, you know, run with your knees apart, and then we have people just like, you know, wide like yes, 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 yes. So you know, it's all about that. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's all about that spiral control that really focusing on. I love that. And I always like reference, like if you want to watch a, a, this in action, like watch the elite marathoners. I mean, they are just magnificent and it just, it looks effort. It looks effortless, but they have that beautiful thoracopelvic cylinder control. They have the rotation component and there's, you just don't see every once in a while there'll have been kind of a, a wild card, <laughs> the outlier who is doing all this kind of extra arm stuff. But most of them are just, they just, it, it's, it's amazing. They're, they really have, uh, they're really centered over their, their, their center of mass is right underneath them. And, it, and right. it's, it's incredible to watch. It really is. And, okay. and you hit me on the head. You yeah. said their arms may do this thing again, the arms are the problem, right? So the arms may be doing something interesting, but like, as long as they can keep those two body parts, right, that keep the cylinder stacked, we're in a good spot. So, yeah, yeah I know, you know, the ones I've talked about that do this like yep. funny little oh. thing and but everything else looks fine. And it's like that's just their their like hallmark move. But um, it, it works. It works. Yep. Um, OK, so 
I let me say one thing. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah can, can please do. Yeah, please. It's important too. Um, I, I will tell you this, and I, I'm not. I, I worked with a, a lot of elites. Okay, um, and I will tell you this for those of you who look at somebody, and, you know, on the podium and go, "Oh, they must be perfect." I will tell you right now, I have seen lots of elites who have really. They're always riding the tightrope of getting injured, okay? Always, because their mechanics aren't good, right? And they have insane physiological capacity, right, from genetics and training hard, but they're not very skilled in their control. So don't let that be the goal standard you're, you're striving for, right? So take time to work on you, right? I've seen parents with four kids who have amazing mechanics, right? And they just don't have the talent and don't have time to train for 30 hours a week, right? So realize there's right. a difference between- there's not, there's, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, behind, yeah, behind the scenes. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I'm sure you've read Born to Run. Um, though the people that are running that like 20 miles a day, 20, 25 miles a day, just to, you know, in their life to gather whatever they need to travel, uh, they're doing this for life. They're not getting injured. So what is it? Is it that they've been doing this for so long? It's their the mechanics were never lost to begin with. Their connection was so good. What would do you have any idea? I, I do. And again, it goes back to lifestyle, right? I mean, yes. the, they're using running as transportation, right? Yes. It, it, it is literally part of how they get from village to village, how they harvest crops, how they get food. Like it's different. They're carrying loads when they're doing things, right? Like they're not, we, we sit at a computer and watch Netflix and then expect to go run perfectly. And that's not how life works. Right. So, yes. you know, I tell people you don't have a running problem. You have a lifestyle skill problem that you're just overloading with volume. That's running's not why you're here, right? You're here because there's other stuff that you've allowed to creep in your life. And I tell people all the time, like, are we born to run? I think we're adapted to run, right? I think mm -hmm. if you do things routinely, which build the skill control, you can do whatever you want, right? Um, but if you don't, good luck. So in an ideal world, even for people that aren't running, in terms of movement, how much movement, and it could be walking, it could be, you know, doing yard work, it could be like, you know, similar to, to people who are doing this as their lifestyle, like you said, as part of their lifestyle. I mean, what would you say if, if, if everything was a perfect world and we didn't have to be on a computer? Like, how much movement do you think is ideal for longevity, for um, continuing this biomechanical goal of, you know, optimizing energy? I think, I think of all these things as not necessarily getting a, a trophy, as, you know, only a few athletes are going to do, but more like, I want to feel good. I want to wake up feeling refreshed and not feeling sore and achy and needing like an hour to kind of realign. So what would you, I'm just curious what your opinion about that is. Yeah, with your research. it's a hard question to ask, right? Because it's like, there, there's like the general answer for the, the masses, which is, you know, please yeah. go off the couch and do something, right? But then there's the reality of, okay, well, I, I played collegiate tennis, right? Like, so there's a very asymmetric sport with asymmetric demands. So I think that the thing is like, do things that have a lot of variety and do them often, right? And and I think that that's the big thing. It's like, yes, I, I love people just, to, you know, if you're doing nothing, then please just start to walk 1K every day. Just start, you know, find a barrier of entry that lets you do something and feel accomplished and, and hopefully that'll build. But, you know, if you're already off the couch and doing different things, like, I find that again, like we talked about getting out of that frontal, you know, getting out of that, that front to back motion all the time, learning to put some rotational skill work in, um, learning to put some load in your system, right? Learning to find and feel positions, right? I think that we live in a world where we want things done to us, right? We, it, 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 I'm sorry if I'm bashing people, but we had this new business in town. It's a stretch lab. You walk in these people that they stretch you passively. I'm like, are you serious? Like, I know people pay for this, but again, like that's not how your nervous system learns better movement. Like that's, it, it's ridiculous. So, you know, um, 
we need to spend time, you know, do different things more, right? Do different things often. And again, that needs to start from school, right? And that needs to be carried out. And, you know, and I, I always tell people like, I, I work, I've worked with over 50 Olympians in my career and they're, they do a lot of different stuff. They just, they don't just do their one sport. Like um, they're, they do a lot of different things and some of it's mental rest throughout the year. Some of it's complementary skill development, right? But like, they know that they're in this for the long haul. And it's like, their body's important. Their body connection is important. So they take time to build that even outside of their sport. And you should too. And I really like, I use that term a lot too, a movement variability. I think when people think cross-training, it can, it can overwhelm the system. Like, oh my God, it just move in different ways. Like make sure that you're moving your joints in as many ways as, as they're made to move because they, you know, if you, it's, it is that whole you know idea of if you don't lose it, you or use it, you are going to lose it. And you're, what you're losing is range of motion, um, elasticity, like we were talking about. Um, and, and it's great for your brain as well. I would also, okay, on this note, I would love to hear about the feet because I know you've become a foot expert. Was that just by happenstance um, because the feet are so often neglected and yet then we, when we pay attention to them, we realize how incredibly important they are, especially because we're only most of the time standing on two feet and like somehow we just ignore them. Yeah. So it's, it's a great, so again, it's born out of frustration, right? So, um, you know, when you, two things, that's right. You walk into any PT clinic, let's things have gotten a little better the past few years, but you know, the standard of care, even like five years ago, we walked into any clinic and they're doing, you know, towel curls, mobile pickups and TheraBand sweeps. I'm like, okay, like if you just got out of a boot, there might be a chance to do that for a few days. But like, if that's your standard of care, I, I, my, I'm, I'm, I'm not optimistic for the future. Right. Um, so, you know, you're, the reality is again, when you run, you've got two and a half times load in your body every stride, right? If you're a sprinter, you've got five to six times your stride, right? Your kids playing soccer had this every time they start cut, run and jump. And like, do you think that picking up, you know, a marble with your toes is going to prepare your body for that? And in fact, you're actually teaching the wrong strategy, by the way, doing that. You're over, you're actually training over dominance of your long flexors, which are muscles in the shin, not the feet. Right. So, um, Again, I'm I'm a data dork, right? I have a research lab. I have data to show how people respond and how the foot moves. I've done research on foot mechanics and trying to, you know, again find like what's the what what's coming to the surface, right? In terms of all this research, and so you know, one of the things we have this thing. I'm, I'm trying to keep it so simple, but we have this this thing called the center of pressure path, right? So um, those of you probably seen this out there in some marketing materials, different companies. I'll show like a hot spot of the heel or a hot spot of the big under the forefoot or something like, right? But you know, when you walk or run, you know the your foot hits the ground. And so <clears throat> the forces go from the, uh, the heel, right? The outside of the foot along the outside of the foot. And they should cross over on the, the ball of the foot, the metal tarsal heads and come out through your big toe, through your, through your first ray. And it's interesting, you know, your big toe is very, very different, both neurologically and um, from an architecture standpoint. So let's go this real quick. If you look at your hands, everyone, just kind of wiggle your fingers back and forth. You have three, um, you have th uh, two joints, right? In each finger, you have three bones in each uh, finger and your thumb, right? You have two joints and you have two bones, right? So it's a different type of anatomy, right? And your foot's the same way, right? So your foot has two bones in the big toe and three bones, little toes. And you look at all the research you know, on anthropology stuff, right? We were, um, you know, our little toes are designed to curl around and grasp and curl, right? And that's very different in the big toe. Big toe's job is to drive down, provide stability, right? And you even have two tiny little kneecaps. They're called sesamoid bones, right? But they're underneath your big toe. 
to drive down and increase the leverage of your token create because it's so, so critical for stability. And so that's, you know, architecturally, you're different in your big toe versus your little toes, right? And the reason why is, again, that center pressure line has to get out the outside of the foot, across the big toes and out the first ray. And then from a neurological standpoint, um, we have a separate area of our brain for different functions, right? And you have an area of your brain called your homunculus, right? An area in there, it's just dedicated to big toe function. Like that's how important it is, right? But the reality is we just put socks on and put our shoes on and go, right? Or let's say we do do something like yoga, right? And we work on balance. Well, the reality is balance is like a mass amalgamation of how you, how you compensate, right? Like Balance work is stand on one leg and see what happens. You may shift from your hips. You may shift from your torso. You may lean from your trunk. I don't know. Like, and you may not quote fall over, but that's not a better strategy, right? So my goal in looking at foot mechanics is how do we teach people again, not just strength, but how do we train better strategies of foot control so that when you do have the foot on the ground, right? That's a solid controlled segment. And then everything upstream can work with the foot, right? To control that spiral line we talked about earlier. So it's about really thinking about how anatomy of your foot is designed and then you know, building tools and knowledge and techniques to, to build upon that. Amazing. All right. So I know this is a lot to ask, but you know, because we don't want cookie cutter or like do this in five minutes, but what are some exercises or movements or um, tips you can give for people? And this is for anybody, people who don't, who are kind of wanting to keep their, their foot and especially their big toe in good health, or those who are already experiencing some of the impacts of the hallux valgus, maybe even a little rigidus, getting into a bunion type situation. What are some tips that you would give? For sure. Um, so, I mean, uh, I've been a big proponent for like, what, 20 years now, toe yoga exercises, right? Where you're separating out your big toe from lesser toes. I'm teaching this since but just way before the foot was cool. Um, but <laughs> that's just, again, like, because again, you've got an area of your brain, which is dedicated to your big toe, not little toes, right? So you have to be aware of that. But, um, and, and there's, I put articles on that and videos everybody has, right? It's all over social media, but here's one's really helpful, right? So I call this a pass around exercise, pass around exercise. So what I want you to do, if you have a little five pound weight, it's great. But if you don't just get a gallon of water or just something like you just need like maybe five, six pounds is plenty, right? But you're going to stand on one foot. And, and again, this is a little teaching test too. A lot of people, when you stand on one foot, we tend to do what I call be very reactive, right? We tend to just quote balance, like literally like wobbling on the outside of the foot. That's reactive. That's not proactive, right? And you have some people who actually do get kind of, they feel like their balance points evenly across the foot. They just kind of collapse inside and they fall down because they can't stabilize their, their big toe, right? So um, this little exercise is great because it teaches you some awareness, right? So what I want you to do is stand on one leg and then Try and center your foot as best you can, all right? And then take that weight that's in your hand. Just pass that from your left hand to your right hand and then back of your right hand and back to your left hand. All you're doing is using that little bit of weight to kind of just shift loads from inside to outside of foot. And you'll feel the fact that a lot of you out there are really going to want to just rock out to that side and wobble and don't do that. I want you to get pressure, get load underneath the inside of your big toe. And I want your big toe to do a good job to drive down and just practice. Don't worry about reps. Just go for time, go two minutes. Okay. And just, you'll feel this connection of like where this is supposed to be. Right. Um, and it's super helpful is building some like awareness of like, okay, I can balance. And a lot of times you do things for balance, but they can be really too hard, right. To build skills. So taking things back and regressing them to something really simple. Like, can I just shift a weight back and forth across my body and still keep some awareness of, 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 of where my pressure is, my foot, what am I feeling? Um, I have a whole, I don't want to make this. I a, love that. Yeah. You have more, I'm sure. 
Yeah, but if you want to see a video of this, go to, um, this is a different thing. I made a little product called Mobo Board, but look at the Mobo Board site. There's a video of this with the Mobo. You can do it without the Mobo too, right? Just if you want to see what this looks like, but it's real simple. Just pass back and forth and just get that connection down. It's so, so critical. It's so important. So that when you do go into like tree pose, right? You can check in. Okay, wait a second. Instead of just kind of letting my hip kind of shift out to the outside because my outside my foot and quote balancing, right? And hopefully grab air to keep myself stable. You can take one extra second, set the whole foot down flat, drive down through a big toe, get that solid from the floor, and then build things up, right? And then you move. And then it's like we've got that stability system in place. You're just building that skill. Mm, I love that. And do you feel like when when you're, um, again, not to, you know, I'm sure one cue doesn't fit all, but if somebody's thinking, well, I'm not going out to the outside, but I'm not sure what he means by, like, getting centered, is there a way of thinking like, big toe, pinky toe mound, heel, like I think of the tripod, that's what I reference, but is there another way of, a way of kind of feeling that centered action? Yes, there is. Um, so I use tripod all the time, but for some reason, I, my tripod's different than everyone else's. Um, uh, everyone else out there talks about tripod as heel, outside ball of foot, inside ball of foot. And that's actually not at all what my tripod consists of. Um, and the reason why is, yes, if you're doing like a, a, you know, a full body single leg pose and you have your whole foot's in the ground, but when you walk, run, jump, cut, like your foot's never static. You don't have your whole foot in the ground. And all the problems you see with like our, our rear foot and our lower leg moving wobbly aren't rear foot problems. Your forefoot's not doing its job steering. So my tripod is actually different. My tripod is outside ball of foot, inside ball of the foot and end of big toe, right? Oh, I like that. That's building the forefoot and that's where your stability comes from. It's not from the heel, right? Your heel is like the codependent child, right? It, it's nice and it's, yeah. it's important, but, it, but it's reflective of what happens up front, right? And so it's really building awareness of where that, where you feel contact control in the forefoot that will guide everything upstream, right? Like arches. And, and it, yeah. Okay. And if that happens, sorry to interrupt yeah. that extra, that if people tend to kind of overly, um, you know, if they're kind of grabbing, that's okay to have a little bit of a feeling of a grab, but a not too much. Yeah. A little bit of a co-contraction is okay, but yeah. you know, we want the, the dominance should be again, outside ball of foot, inside ball of foot and, and a big toe, not. Yes. So, so here's one that you can do. If you're one of those people who does tend to kind of curl and grasp, right. Do me a favor. Curl and grasp your toes, and you'll see instantly the first thing that happens is the ball Lifts of your, off. Under yeah. your foot, of the big toe, it comes off the ground. It comes off the ground. Yeah. That's yep. right. So, what you can do is a great little tool, trick for this. Uh, take a piece of TheraBand, not not the um, not uh, not the two, right, but the band, right, and just anchor it like somewhere, right, like a little like two foot piece, right, and yeah. pull a little bit of tension on that, right. So you can tie it on your coffee table if you want to, and just put that in the ground with like a little bit of tension and stand so that you've got that TheraBand anchored under the ball of the big toe, right, to give you a cue to get load over there, right, because that if you try and do your trick where you curl that you'll first, you know, the ball of foot comes up and that third band pops out, right? So it'll really teach you to get your weight over and to get that shift. And again, to learn to drive down. When I'm teaching my patients this, I, I, it sounds dumb, but I literally say these exact words because it works. I tell people, there's a picture of my face right underneath <laughs> the, the nail in your big toe. And I want you to smash my face, right? I don't want you to curl it. I want you to smash down on it, right? Oh, I like that. I like that. Whether it was your face or not, but I think that's good. Right. Like, put It's a press. It's a press down. Right. It's not a curl back. Because yeah, I right. see people who do the claw thing, and it's like that. that it's important to recognize the difference. Yep. Great, great. Okay, now. I know you brought up the board and you're very humble, but you're an inventor. And I also worked for a patent. It, I haven't 
brought it to completion. It's a postural bra. And it's nice. Yeah. It's like whatever, six years in the making. Uh, cause it's like not up, but because you know how this is, it's, it's not, people come up with an idea. They're like, let's do it. And it's like, nope, it takes a while to mm-hmm. get the patent and all that stuff. But what, uh, inspired you to create this board? Like, and what is the board about? Yeah. So, um, again, like out of frustration, right? So yeah. I would have a high patient in the clinic and I do these things and all the cues we talked about, right? And they go home and they do things wrong because their lives are busy and I get it. They're not paying attention. And so these things get lost in, in translation. So I always thought like, hey, again, going back to what I said earlier, I want to put people in positions they feel things and I can just shut my mouth, right? And so the I said, would it be cool if I could build an environment to stick someone in, right? That would give them full foot contact because our sensory nervous system needs full foot contact. Um, I want something that wasn't squ- soft and squishy. Um, not, I'm not going to go on a long tangent, but if you're, if you're training on soft, squishy surfaces, you're actually removing sensory information from your body to figure out where you are. I know it's done all the time. I know it's widespread. It's idiotic in my in my mind you're literally taking away the proprioceptive cues you need to build proprioception which is position sense and i'll argue that to, to everybody so we can care that for later but um so i wanted to have something firm i want to have it full um full foot contact um i wanted to have it tilt in a given amount of range of motion right and i want that range of motion to reflect the axis of pronation and supination so the way mobo tilts is in 45 degrees off the center which is exactly the axis of pronation and supination and then I wanted to have a cue to get load over underneath the big toe to think about how we build that progression line of center pressure under the foot. And what you want, what we wind up with in the world is MOBO, right? So um, it, it's, a, it's a rocker board, right? It's not a wobble board. Wobble boards, I find, are actually too unstable. Not to say they're bad, but most people, they're so unstable. People just, again, they shift from the hip and not the foot. And I really want to give people that kind of right point of entry to build that foundational skill from the foot. So it, it rocks. It rocks in a limited emotion, which is exactly how much your ankle, excuse me, your foot pronates and supinates. And it's actually safe uh, in terms of range for people with an acute ankle sprain, right? And yeah. and it trains all this in a load-bearing position, right? That's the thing. It's not just keeping your foot in the air and sweeping it side to side. We know you're eventually going to have to get to the point where you're supporting your own weight, right? So if you're early on in rehab, you can put one foot on a, you know, on a few books if you want to, and then you know, your foot in the mobo to kind of put 50% body weight, but you can get up to single leg body weight. You can do single leg plus weight, you know, whatever you want to do. But we're talking about a, a, just a different environment to, that's going to sort of, I use the word cue, but in reality, it's forcing you, right? To yes, think yes. out, feel how to do this the right way. And so it, it's nice, you know, people say, is there a tool to build? Like, you know, we have tools for different things. We have support bras, right? For posture awareness. We have, you know, weights to load the system. And like, I, I didn't see any tools which really built that skill, not just the strength, but the skill mm-hmm. of foot control. And um, so, yeah, I-, I uh, Do you have, do you have um, like a handout or- video that that takes people through the exercises to do on it yeah there are yeah we have um over 35 different exercises on, on moboboard.com so 3500 no 35 no oh 35. my god oh it's going what 35 <laughs> 35 we can do 3500 now that's what that's yeah, going to no. overload our system <laughs> so I tell people, like, take a look at those, even if you don't have a MOBO, right? Because I, I broke them up into little categories, right? But I call this one foot six pack up top, just whatever. But yeah. <laughs> um, but those are just like, take a step back, 
feel this stuff, right? Try to move differently. Try to pay attention to skill, right? And you kind of build those foundations. And the rest of the stuff after that, they're really, you want to train, you know, some single leg squat mechanics? Great. Here's a bunch of different ways to do that and put your foot involved in that too. You want to build deadlift patterns? Great. Let's do that and put that in too. You want to work some hip abduction? Great. So it's it's trying to, again, integrate things in a nice way. And I've just loved, I mean, my whole goal all along is to see people be innovative. I love seeing exercises people create with it, right? Because Different sports and different lifestyles have different demands. So make it reflective of that. But again, we're always integrating the foot stability with the whole body. That, that's the key thing. It's like we need to, if it's not integrated, it doesn't work. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Oh my gosh. I could talk to you all day. I love your enthusiasm. I love that you're putting this into kind of, you know, real world situations. And like you said, getting integrative and paying attention to the quality. It, movement has a quality to it. And that quality is what allows us to move well for decades. And even if you're in your 20s, and I know you probably aren't even thinking about like, but even in, even if you aren't experiencing anything and you aren't thinking for the future, it's going to help you in efficiency. It's going to help your recovery. Um, it's going to help your nervous system, all of the things to really work on quality. So thank you for doing everything. Yeah. And where can I, people, yeah, go ahead. I can say one thing. So one of the things I do, because this this is kind of this struck me with something you asked earlier. Um, one of the things I do with my patients when they come in and they say, "Hey, like, you know, I'm here for whatever." I'm like, "Okay, how can I help you?" Right, that's my job. But, at, but when it comes time, like, "Hey, here's what we have to do," I ask them point blank, "How much time do you have available to integrate this into your lifestyle?" Right. And so I think one of the things for any clinicians listening, we try and we want to do so much to help them, and I ask them point blank. Do I have five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day? Do I have 20 minutes for the whole week? Like I asked him, because I have to make our plan fit your life. So if you're to integrate what you just said, right? Wherever you are right now, think how much time can I find throughout the week? It doesn't have to be five hours, people. Like it's just mm-hmm. real simple, right? But it, maybe it's five minutes a day. Maybe it's, you know, 10 minutes a week. I don't know. Find something and introduce this in because again, it's not strengthening. It's just skill building and you'll be shocked at how much better you feel and how different you feel by just taking some time to pull things back a little bit and go back to basics. It's really helpful. I I, I couldn't agree more because you're taking out some of the negative stress like overuse or imbalance or because we lose energy if we're not like well integrated. Um, And then you're possibly putting on the good because people there is good stress good stress is actually going to help your nervous system it's going to help you uh grow in every way you know so it's i I love that though that you're asking that question and uh, um, sometimes when my teachers who go through my training and they see me do a private or something i give them some examples they're always shocked at how little we do because i'm like I, what I'm trying to do is like, if I can impart one nugget that they walk away with from this time, that is, that's a win. If I give them a lot of stuff and they don't do any of it, then like it's, that's, that's not going to make any of us feel better. So I think that's like you said, dial it back and get clear and have good quality. So thank you for doing that. Tell everybody where they can find all your great information and this wonderful board you invented. (laughs) Yeah, um, I try and put things under, if you just go to moboboard.com, it's our website for the board. There's lots of stuff in there too. There's a whole like blog section. I've got different posts in there. Um, You can also, on social media, you can follow mobo.board on Instagram. And then um, check out an athlete's an and athletesbody.com. Um, I've got some stuff on there. That blog has been going a little bit. Um, I haven't updated it much, but I'm going to because I'm about to release a whole series on youth athletic development um, really soon. So um, and that'll be on my blog and also on YouTube too. So some fun things coming. That's incredible. And it's really important to notice. I, I, I don't remember. I just read it, but 
you also have done a lot of research. Like it's like the, but research in real, real world stuff and yeah. have written about that. So I think that's, um, and you have a book, one book or two books, two books, anatomy for runners and running rewired. I love it. I love it. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining me today, Jay. It was really a pleasure. I'm excited to dive into more of your stuff. And I, I really appreciate this for everybody out there. I'm sure there'll be lots of questions. So we might have to have you back. <laughs> sure. Thanks for having me. And I hope everybody listening has an amazing day. Yes. And you all know, as always, I am pulling for you. 